Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. So if we're going to talk about being an obeyer, we've got to sort of go back a little bit and recap Ephesians, because what you'll find is if you were to sit down with your Bible and read almost any of the New Testament books, maybe aside from the four Gospels, which unfold as stories, they're narratives, the rest of the, of the writings of the New Testament, well, Acts is also a narrative, but I'm kind of counting that with Luke. And, and if you read the rest of these, like Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, they, they have this same similar approach. In the beginning of all of those letters, especially the epistles, they, they start out by saying, you are a saint. You are the beloved. You are God's child. In Ephesians, chosen before the foundation of the world. So the beginning is what we might call the gospel, the good news. All of the promises of God just dumped on us like a big bucket of water that refreshes us, renews us, and restores us. And it's just relentless. Ephesians chapter 1, you were chosen in him. Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. It is not from you so that no one can boast. But we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are his masterpiece, you might say. And so, and so then chapter 3, it's this, it's this business of the continuing process of, of working through the church to bring about change upon the earth. And what change upon the earth are we bringing? Chapter 4, unity. See, remember chapter 1. It was, it was God's plan all along to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. So chapter 4, the church gathers and we gather for the purpose with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And, and we, we have all of this, and then we equip one another. Remember chapter 4, verse 11. Some, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are shepherds, some are teachers. And these, these giftings of, the, of, the, of, the, of God to, are for the purpose of equipping the saints so that we could grow up in all unity in the faith, that we can make a difference in the things that matter, matter most. And last, last time in Ephesians chapter 5, we saw we were called to be filled with the Spirit because it's only with His power that we can do this. And if we are filled with the Spirit, then things are going to happen in our relationships. We're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And because we're filled with the Spirit, because of who you are in Christ, now you're going to be an obeyer. Now, i got to be honest with you. I told you I'm not a very good obeyer. You know, I, in fact, at seminary, when I was there, I was a bit of a problem student. And, and not because I was you know, running off doing shenanigans, but because people would always say, this is how you do it. And I'd be like, well, wouldn't it be better if we did it this way? And, and so I had to learn obedience all over again. But the thing about being an obeyer here is not necessarily just about being good, trying harder, getting better. We need to see what it's about because it's not what we think on first, at first glance. Take a look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. The Greek word there, we're going to look at it. So it says children, and this is where it, we see in our English Bibles, obey. But I want you to see that the word there is hippokuo, okay? And we're going to talk about this. Everybody's like, hippowato, it's hippokuo. Your parents, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. 
So I'm always like, hey, kids, you guys check that scripture out. It's a pretty good one. And so <laughs> you know, that's how that works. But, but what does hippokuo mean? So akuo means to hear, to listen. And of course, hippa is this idea of, of being under. And so this idea is you have, you have listen under. That's what the literal translation would, would say. And so to listen under, you can see how they get obey from that. That makes sense. But I don't want us to miss the nuance there because the nuance is important. Because so many people, guys, listen to this. So many people think that their relationship with God is based upon obedience. And I quite frankly hear sermons to this effect and all the time. But that isn't what your relationship is based upon. Your relationship, with, your relationship with God is based upon, remember what we just said, faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through obedience. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. By grace you have been saved through faith. Your relationship with your God Almighty is, is based upon faith in what he has already done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I have to say it again, right? So when we talk about obedience, it is a response to what God has already always done. This is why we listen under. And when I hear the word listen, I'm taken back to John chapter 5 when Jesus was talking to all these people that were just very grouchy with him and they were mad at him and they were wondering why he was doing the things he was doing. He was telling them to love their enemies. He was telling them to to, to trust in him and to believe in him because the Father had sent him. And they're like, who are you? And he says this, he goes, those who hear the voice of the Son of Man have already moved from death to life. Listen under. And what will happen is, is if Jesus is our Lord, if we truly hear the voice of the Son of Man and we believe by faith that he has poured his grace upon us, and you kind of imagine yourself walking out of that waterfall, kind of like dripping and being like, wow, now what do we do? Here we are. We start with saying, children, listen to your parents. You know, they, they've been here a little longer than you. I don't know if, if, you've, if, you've, if you've had this experience, those of you who are a little older. When I was, say, 17, 18, 19, I was in this mode where I thought I knew everything. I don't know if anybody else has experienced this. And there's a, there are people that age group listening to me now. And so I wonder what, how they're hearing this, right? And so, and so I thought I knew everything. And I thought that my parents just didn't understand much of anything. And so we, and it's just this strange thing. It's the cycle that repeats every generation. And it's, it's right there in the Bible. And, and, and we see it and we experience it. We live it. And yet it still happens. Because humans don't listen, a.k.a. Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? You know, that's always where this goes back to because it's always the problem with the human. We don't listen. And we think then that we do have knowledge of good and evil because we, all are, part, we are all recipients of what Adam and Eve, eating from the tree of I know everything. And here we are again at this same point, listening. Listen under to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually make the decision. This is what the Bible is inviting us to do, to make the decision to listen to my mom and dad because God has put them there for me. Some of you are going to say, yeah, Mark, that might have been great for you, but my mom and dad weren't there, or my mom and dad failed at what they should have done, or my mom and dad actually, even now that I'm older, I can look back and say they truly didn't understand, and maybe that's true, but that doesn't delete the Scripture. See, this is what we want to, we want to grow from. 
is there's all kinds of examples where this doesn't work. But that's because the world is broken and it doesn't change God's design and his invitation that you and I would participate in it because it does work when we do, when we believe, when we believe that he has grace and mercy and love. When we believe that, oh, he starts to change everything. Take a look at verse two, verses 2 and 3, and, and you'll notice this is a quote from Exodus chapter 20. It's actually from Exodus and Deuteronomy, from both places. He, in fact, the Apostle Paul, you can tell, he kind of put them together a little bit. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, the Apostle Paul writes, quoting Moses, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So he says, he says, hey, it's not just my idea, it's God's idea. Of course, that's what God is calling him to say, all of his words. And so he quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes from the Ten Commandments, he quotes and he says, honor your father and your mother. Now those of, us who, those of you who have grown up in our faith tradition, we, we love to take that verse and we love to include not just your father and your mother, but we, we go and we read all of the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus and we, we read other scriptures that Jesus spoke and other places where the apostles wrote and other prophets wrote and we put it all together and we say, actually, we're supposed to, Romans 13, we're supposed to honor all of those in authority above us, not just our father and our mother. And that makes it very difficult when you don't like those who are in authority <laughs> above us, right? Now, some of you guys might be like, hey, I like the, th the authorities right now. And then it's just a matter of time before a different authority gets elected and then you don't like them. So you, this, is a, this is our challenge. But look at the promise that's in it. Look at what the promise is. The promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You see, again, we can point to all kinds of examples where authorities fail. We're in the middle of a complete cultural and societal breakdown because of the fact that we're throwing off authority. We're declaring authority as invalid. And instead, we find that the best solution is to burn everything down. It's like, what? No, no, that's not the right answer. This is the right answer. And we have to trust the ultimate authority. That's where this comes. It comes back to faith. Do we trust who's really in charge? Because right now our president's name is Donald Trump. And so, and, and our senators, we could name them. And our, and our, and our governor, Governor Parsons, we could name him. And all the different people, we could name all the authorities. But the reality is that God tells us in Romans chapter 13, and he's certainly highlighting it here that God put them there. And there will come a day when we'll put different names in there, whatever that might be, whatever day it will be. And whatever, whoever is there, the true name that I want you to always remember who is in authority is the name of Christ Jesus, our, what's that word? Lord. And what's interesting is, is through this whole section of nine verses of chapter six of Ephesians, the word Lord appears many times referring to people other than Jesus. We're going to see it. And this is where we have to begin with faith, trusting that God, even because see the problem that you have, it's okay if you like the governor or you like the president or you like the senators or maybe the mayor or whoever else is in authority, maybe the police officer who pulled you over, maybe he's just telling you, hey, you got to fix your tail lot, you know, and he doesn't write you a ticket, so you like him, right? You like him or her or whatever does that. But what happens when you don't? Because the fact that we have to realize is if you say that God puts everyone in authority who's in authority, then that means he also put People like Stalin and Mao Zedong and, and, and Saddam Hussein and Adolf Hitler. No, he didn't. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just 
telling you what's in the Bible. God puts authority in place, and the world is broken. There are plenty of examples where authority is wrong, and I just gave you some names that are examples of those. And yet, we put our trust in he who has ultimate authority. Take a look at verse 4. He who has ultimate authority guides fathers to do this. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is true for all, all people in authority. But it starts, you see, in the most basic authority. So as a father, my objective is to not provoke my children to anger. And I bet if I was to line them up here, they could tell you times when I might have done that. <laughs> and, 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 and then they would be right to tell that story. And I say might just only as a try, I'm trying to lessen the blow on my own heart. But the reality is we all fall short, right? And fathers, you can sit here and think about this. You're like, well, I like to think I did pretty good, but there were times when I did provoke my children to anger. And that's when we need to go back to the cross and see all authority, true authority and what he did with it. Because our father does not provoke us to anger. I mean, I know we get mad at God. That's true. But he is the only father in, well, he's not in the universe. He is above the universe. He is God Almighty. But he enters into our universe to save us and to deliver us from the brokenness that we experience. That time, those times when we are very angry. And so we need, to, we need to join him in this and to, and to see that we are to bring people up in, we're to bring our children up in discipline and instruction. Discipline is teaching them what it looks like. It's discipling them. It's demonstrating to them. Um, there's an old adage, did you know we're always discipling? Dads and moms, listen up to this. Anyone in authority, we're always discipling. So if we do something, that carries more weight than anything we say even when we don't do the right thing. And we've seen this. You know this to be true in your own lives, no matter whether you're a child or a father or a mother or a daughter. And so wherever you're at on this, we need to recognize that what we're doing has impact. Take a look at verse 5. Now here we go with some controversial language. Now we're reading from the ESV here, and it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And I've got some squiggly there beside it that says, God does not condone slavery. He delivers us from slavery. But we need to talk about this because some years ago, um, this passage got put on a billboard in many cities back on the East Coast that it, all it said was, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And it basically quoted God, you know, basically saying God condones slavery. And many people to this day continue to claim that the Bible condones slavery because of language like this. And what that means is, or what that, where that comes out is, is that well, right there it is. It's telling the slaves, the bond servants, which we'll talk about in a moment, is saying, you need to obey your masters. Aren't we supposed to rise up against slavery and to stop it at all costs? Well, let's talk about that. Because we have this really interesting paradox as followers of Jesus. Um, I always tell people, go find me that passage where Jesus said, I want you to rise up and overthrow the government. <laughs> I want you to rise up and topple your earthly masters. I haven't found that passage. I sure find a lot of them like this. In fact, he goes so far as someone tries to steal from you. If they're taking one thing, they take your cloak, give them your tunic also. If they come and they force you to go a mile with them, basically take you hostage, go an extra mile with them. If they slap one side of your face, go ahead and give them the other side of the face to slap too. 
And we, we all bristle, right? We, none of us like this language. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I say to you, love your enemies. So see, you can't really love someone if you're overthrowing them and killing them, right? It's kind of hard to do that. It's hard to, to, to multitask in that way. And this is where we come in. Because see, God's vision is for a new humanity. A humanity where, yes, of course there isn't slavery. Are you kidding me? He, how many times do we read the passage where he says to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, referring to Egypt. And that, that deliverance from slavery has continued. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. He came to deliver us. He went through water and he went into the wilderness and he defeated the devil where the people of God did not. And then he went to the cross, to the mountain where God Almighty came to him in judgment, which was originally intended for those of us who fall short. But he took it on himself. And he died to forgive us and to set us right in his eyes and then to conquer death itself, to create a new humanity where there aren't masters and slaves, but there are people who are united. Remember, that's what the theme of Ephesians is all about. But we don't find ourselves in a world that is united yet. And everyone in America is saying, amen, right? We're in a world that is divided and everyone has different opinions on how to solve it. How do you solve the coronavirus? How do you solve social injustice? How do you solve racism? How do you solve the problems with violence in the streets and protesting and protesters killing people and people killing the protesters and on it will go and, and you feel like it's spiraling out of control. Where will it go? Meanwhile, Jesus is like, obey your earthly masters. <laughs> and you see, this is a radical statement. It's far more controversial than some sort of misunderstanding that God condones slavery. Of course, he doesn't condone slavery. But what he is doing, he's saying, if you find yourself in the situation of being a slave, then be a good slave. Be the best slave you could be. And a lot of people at our jobs, we might think, well, I feel like a slave at my job. It's the whole thing that, you know, when you're a slave, you're kind of owned by, by your employer. And some of us might feel that way too. But slavery was very different in the first century than it was in the in the, in the time of American slavery, and that's why the ESV has chosen to translate it as bond servants, because many slaves would enter into slavery willingly in that context. They would actually sell themselves into slavery to pay off debts or to get ahead. If you could become the slave of a prominent household, you could make a lot of money. You could become very prominent in the culture. And so for them, it was different, but I don't, we don't need to split hairs on that. Slavery is slavery, and ultimately, slavery means one person owns the other. And God has set us free from all of that. In the meantime, wherever what station we find ourselves in, we see him as our master. Take a look at verses 6 and 7. Not, we, 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 we honor our masters not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as, but as slaves, as bondservants of Christ. See, and that's why I'm not a fan of the ESV's translation. They're trying to highlight that slavery was different in the time of Paul and Jesus. But, but the problem is, is we, we didn't sell ourselves into slavery to Christ. He bought us with his blood. So I, I prefer the Greek word there, doulos, which means slave. And let us, let us not have our sensibilities be offended by the fact that God is calling us to be slaves to him because he has bought us and he is setting us free. That's what he's doing. And so he's inviting us, since we are his slaves, we've been purchased by him to join with him from the heart, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man. 
Some years ago, uh, long before I was in the pastoral ministry, I worked in a, in, in a variety of capacities in the IT world. I was a computer guy, and I was involved in some management stuff. I was involved in training, involved in consulting, a lot of different things. And through the course of that journey, um, I had a lot of run-ins, right? You get run-ins with people in authority above you. And I remember one particular one where, where the, the run-in was a fella that was, I mean, he was just wrong. And he was actually trying to get me in trouble. He was trying to hurt me. And, and I remember having the urge, having, the, having this like, I'm going to expose his lies and I'm going to take him down and I'm going to get him fired from his job because I know people who are in authority above him and he doesn't know that I know them. And and somehow, not because of me, because trust me, I was, I was literally going to do it. Somehow the Holy Spirit just pulled me. This isn't the way. This isn't the way. You don't need to prove anything to him or to them or to anyone else. This isn't about eye service or how you look or what honor or rights you have. You've been given the entire universe as a saint, as a son of the living God. Because of the blood of Jesus, which covers your unrighteousness and takes it away, replacing it with his righteousness and holiness, which means be weird, be different, do the will of God as to the Lord and not to man. I, I couldn't have told you all of that language on that day, but somehow all of that was just like being dumped into my heart. I called a mentor of mine who happened to be a pastor, and I shared all of that with him, and he goes, wow, that's probably what you should do then. <laughs> in other words, he was like, yeah, I wish God would tell me that. And it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he spoke to me, but it was just like all these words that I'd heard as a kid growing up just came rushing into my mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. His words, which are in the Bible. So many people will say, I wish God would speak to me. And I like what Barry wrote this week on Facebook. And, he go, and they say, well, he does speak to you through his word. He goes, yeah, but I want to I I see it or hear it in a way that I can hear it out loud. And they're like, so then read the Bible out loud, pal. And it was just kind of like, yes, that's exactly right. Read the Bible out loud. Not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. That he is your actual authority, your actual Lord doing the will of God from the heart. This is the definition of integrity, doing the right thing when no one knows you're doing it. And in a way, I've spoiled it a little bit because I, you know, I didn't really tell anybody all of that, but I'm not telling it here because of what I have done, but because of what he has done. Take a look at verse eight. Because here's the ultimate truth. Whatever you sow, well, that's what you're gonna reap, right? That's what the Bible says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free, whether he is slave or free. And I've got two squigglies on there, one pointing to Romans chapter 6, one pointing to Galatians chapter 6. And after I put Galatians 6 there, I'm like, really, it's the whole book of Galatians. We'll talk about that. But, but, but what we're talking about is this idea that whenever we do good, we are sowing good. We are walking in the light as he is in the light. Whenever we listen to the voice of the Son of Man, we move from death to life, we are alive, and we are now participating. I've been using that word a lot through the book of Ephesians. I'm hoping you're catching on. We are participating in his plan to restore all things. 
See, a lot of people live their lives as thinking, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus, and then that way when I die, I'll go to heaven. The story of the Bible isn't that. Even though if you believe in him and you die, you will go to heaven. That's true. But that's not, you're going to find like three passages in the whole Bible that talk about that. The rest of it talks about this. Believe in Jesus and participate with him in bringing heaven wherever you go. That's the story of the Bible. That's what being an obeyer is all about. It's not because I'm trying to be a good person, because none of us are a good person on our own. We are 100% righteous in Jesus. On our own, we might make it to 12%. I don't know. I always tell the joke, maybe on Sundays I might hit 20%. But wherever it is, the point is, is that the plan is that we would be the bringers, the participants, those who help bring heaven to earth. And that day when I wanted to take that guy out and get him fired, and somehow God yanked the wheel of my life to say, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. no, obey, do good, shine the light. You see the difference that that makes in this world. Now instead of someone getting fired, now we let God handle all of the righteousness of the world and the justice. Remember he said it is mine to avenge, not yours, right? And so what we're doing now, we have to trust him that when we do the right thing, he will take it and run with it. He will reap, he will bring the harvest. In fact, Jesus called us to pray for the workers in the harvest. Remember 1 Corinthians when Paul said, He said it's not about the people who do the thing. Yes, some plant, some water. God makes it grow. This is what we're talking about in here, right here. Whatever good anyone does, he will receive back. It's not, it's not just like, oh, I'm, it's not like God's a mutual fund. I'm going to put some good in, and I'm going to get some good back, brother. That's, we'll be blessed, right? I mean, this, this scripture does say it in that way. It says, hey, if you put in, you're going to get out, and that's true. But remember, this is from the heart. This is from trusting in the Lord, believing that it is by grace we have been saved, not from ourselves. By grace we've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. And so now our goodness is participating with him that because look at what he says. From the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Romans chapter 6 is this really powerful discussion. I encourage you to read it as part of your devotions this week. Um, Romans chapter 6, you'll see at the beginning, he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. So we're saved by grace. So does that mean that we should just sin all we want because we're saved by grace? There's a lot of people who don't do this. You know, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. This is going to work out great. You know, I mean, that's what some people treat this as. And they're like, no. That's not what the plan is. And Romans chapter 6 will say, you were buried with Jesus when you were baptized. You were united with him when he rose from the dead. And now you are with him and you are his slave. Not a slave to sin, a slave to righteousness. A slave to his plan to restore all things. And the whole chapter of Romans chapter 6 talks about that dynamic. Galatians chapter 6, this is where you'll actually find the words, whatever you reap, excuse me, whatever you sow is what it says, that you will reap. And so he says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked, right? This isn't a game. He knows everything. So it's not like you can like trick God. No, no, (laughs) you can't. So why not go with God? Why not go with him and participate with him and cause the powers of darkness to flee? Because that's ultimately what we're doing. Because throughout the book of Ephesians, we've been called to trust that Jesus is Lord and then to participate with him in his plan 
to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. Take a look at verse 9. Because ultimately, this is the question. Who is Lord? That's what this is all about. Masters, Greek word kurioi, kurioi, which is kurios, Lord, right? Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their Lord and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. So in other words, if you do find yourself in authority, whether a slave owner, then yeah, set your slaves free. Just so we're all clear for anybody who has questions about the Bible's view on slavery, go read Philemon. That's a little letter where Paul wrote to, to Philemon about his friend Onesimus, who was a slave. And Paul says, hey, Philemon, set him free. And if there's a, if there's a price, I'll pay it. And this is what he's talking about. Masters, do the same to them. Do good, right? So the proper course of action for a slave owner is to release the slaves and stop your threatening, knowing that who is both their master and yours. In, in God, there's no partiality. He's not, there's no rich and famous and little peons. And other than the fact that what Jesus said, he who is last, you guys know how that ends, right? He who is last shall be yeah, first. So you and I are going to be obeyers. Not because we want to or we like it or not because our parents understand because maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think they do sometimes. I always found that when I got a little older, my parents knew more and more. It's strange how that works. And so wherever you're at in your journey and whether you're in authority or under authority, be an obeyer. Not because you need to for Jesus' sake, but because you want to, to help him, to join him in his mission. Because he was sent to save that which was lost. And you and I, who know him, we know what it's like to be saved when we were lost. There are so many out there who don't know that yet. So let's pray about it. Father, we ask that you would indeed help us join you and that we would listen under you, that we would be obeyers, that our obedience would not be how, how our relationship with you is defined, but what comes out of the amazing grace that you pour out onto us. And that we would ever walk with Jesus and using his example, that we would die with Jesus, that we would live with Jesus, and that we would walk as children of the Most High, co-heirs with Christ, slaves to the one who bought us with his blood who now participate with him in the freeing of all earthly slaves from all earthly masters, ultimately from the master who is the prince of the power of the air, that he, would, that he would have no authority and have no influence and be cast into the lake of fire. And that's right, devil. That's where your future is because Jesus is coming back. And he will come back, and on that day, all of this will be fulfilled. And until then, we walk with him bringing his love and his hope to all people. And it's why we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.